Let's open our Bibles to John chapter 12. And for the next couple of weeks, I'd like to take a look at this topic of um, the breakthrough of God's power. And when we say that, when we say words like breakthrough and we say words like power, I think there may be some impressions that we have had in past experiences in maybe churches or uh, religious groups. But what I'd like to talk about is I'd like to talk about what does it look like uh, for the believer to understand and experience the power of God. And so let's look at these verses together in Romans chapter 12. And I'm gonna, I want to read verse 24 and then verse 25 a little bit later. So verse 24, John 12, verse 24. And it says this, Truly, truly, I say unto you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains by itself alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Okay? This past week, uh, we went out to dinner with a couple couples, and we were there eating one of our favorite restaurants. And if you hang out with us for a period of time, you're probably going to wind up in that restaurant, Zara's uh, Mediterranean Food on Rayford Road, West Rayford Road, well, wait, Rayford Road. We're there, and I know, I know the owner, and he would share this with, with you himself. And he came over to greet us, and his father has been in the hospital in Herman Memorial. And he's a Muslim. He's from Dubai. And his sister, him and his sister, run the restaurant. Young man. And we began to talk, and I asked him, how's, how's your dad doing? And he said, three weeks ago, he passed away. And now he's, in, he's with God. And he knows that, this man knows that we're believers, that we're Christians. We've been going there for a while. And from time to time, him and his sister will text my wife and I, like, can you please pray for us? And there is this relationship, and usually with Muslims, it's a longer-term relationship. It's kind of like they're learning how to trust you, you're learning about them, and you discover they're some of the most warmest people that you've ever met, very hospitable. And he just just his face was broken and he just said, you know, my, my dad passed away. I was there. I was holding his hand. And he just began to share with me some of the things that he had experienced. And it was shocking. I realized that, that this is going to be a longer conversation. So I'm standing there with him and our guests are talking with my wife. And, and he began to say, like, you know, I was there day and night for the last year in this hospital. And um, he had an accident where he was bedridden. He was in his 70s, I believe. And he said that there was a moment where he was just fine. He was, during the, during the evening, he was just fine. Three o'clock in the morning, the nurse came to check on him. He was fine. She did a blood test. And at about 4.30, there was some distress. He could see there was some distress. And everything started, like, going crazy with all of the uh, machines, all the beeping. And so th he called the nurses in. And they, it was a code red. They called for all the nurses to come in, all the doctors and they were just trying to, um, they were just trying to revive him. And at one point, he said, I was holding his hand, and we had this agreement, because he didn't talk a lot. He said, we had this agreement that if he was hearing what I was saying, he would, he would either open his eyes, or he would squeeze my hand real tight. And I said to him, I said, do you think your dad was ready to pass? And he said, no, I don't think he was ready. And it was very somber. At that moment, he got very serious. He said, he said, uh, he said I, began, I looked at my dad's face. And, and his hand was still holding, it was really tight. And it looked like he was talking. He was saying something in Arabic with his, his mouth was like moving. And it was like he was having a conversation with, his, his, with someone and his eyes were moving like you have a conversation with someone. And he would stop talking like you would talk and then listen to the other party. And then he would start talking again. No words were coming out, but there was a conversation going on. 
And I don't know what that conversation was. I can only imagine what that conversation was with a man that's on the, on the, on the edge of, of slipping into eternity. And then the conversation stopped, his hand relaxed, and he was gone. And he said, and this man who told me, his name is Muhammad, he said, he said uh, and he's an extremely, he's a single guy, very successful, very He owns multiple restaurants all over the Houston area. And he just said to me, he goes, he goes, Christian, I, I don't know, like, I look at all this, and I don't know, is this worth it? What is this all worth, you know? And I've never had a conversation with this guy like this before. And he said, everything has changed. Everything is different. He goes, the, what I used to work hours and 12, 13, 14 hours a day, I wonder if this is worth it. What is it all worth? What's the sense of life? What's the meaning of this all? And he looked at me, and he was quiet. And it was time to give an answer. And we started talking about eternity. We started talking, and I was moving slow because I didn't want to, here's a man that's grieving. And I was talking with him. And I knew there was going to be other conversations down the road. And he said, I started watching YouTube videos about what happens after you die. And he said, I saw some pretty scary stuff and some pretty bizarre stuff. And I said, let me just, you know, let me send you something to read and to watch. And he said, okay. And we talked for a while and he was just pouring out his heart and all the things that a grieving person goes through, the ups and the downs and the moments. He said, I'd be in my car and there'd be moments where I'd be driving and, and he was, I just burst out into tears and, and he would try to get himself under control. He's a, he has a very nice, very nice BMW, top of the line, just great car. Imagine a handsome Muslim man in a BMW, black BMW, going down the road just in tears. And that was him. And he said to me, he goes, as he had to, had to close the conversation, he closed, his, he closed his eyes and he said, he goes, the only thing that we can do is that we can just ask forgiveness of our sins and accept God into our life. And I said, exactly. And I said, I want to talk with you more about that. And here's a man, after that conversation with him, I had this, I don't know, whenever you are at a place where there's someone that you know that is passing or a friend or someone has passed, there's this thinking that comes into mind of, eternity and the things that we live in this temporal world and it began to make me think about the shell that we live in the 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 eternal things and here in John chapter 12 when I look at this chapter chapter 12 for the next couple weeks there's a few places here in this chapter that really address brokenness and treasure and I want to just talk about how the power of God looks and what it doesn't look like and so Jesus is saying here, unless a grain of wheat, and how many of you have seen a grain of wheat before? This grain of wheat is a, it's a small little, it's a small little seed, and it actually has a very, very hard cover, and unless it's shell, and unless it falls into the ground, and is there for a while, and allows the soil, and the water, and the nutrients of the soil to break down that shell around the, around the grain, Unless that happens, there can be no fruit. There cannot be any growth. And inside of this grain of wheat is, this, is the DNA. It has the, it has the life. It has, it has all the instructions of what it's supposed to look like. It has the blueprint in this seed. Nobody has to tell the seed how to grow or what to do. And this seed has the power of everything that the seed is supposed to be and the kind of fruit that it's supposed to bear. But it cannot grow unless the shell is softened and is broken. I'm rereading a book by Watchman Nee that is one of the most influential books in my life outside of the Bible. The Bible, for sure, is, of course, the most influential book in my life. It's, the, it's a book that I 
I uh, read more than really anything else, and it really has the last say on anything that I read of any commentary or any writer. But Watchman Nee wrote a book called The Release of the Spirit. And there's this section of the book, and I highly suggest it. If you want to follow along this series, I'll be referring to some of the stuff he's talking about. And I know some of you have read the book, but it's a phenomenal book about this whole topic, about the shell and how the shell needs to break and how sometimes we as believers um, are really frustrated and we, we discover that in ourselves, we, and that when we look at our life and we look at the work of God and the plan of God in our life, we quickly discover that we ourselves are the biggest frustration to God's work. We ourselves are the biggest, biggest uh, hindrance to what God wants to do in our life. I want to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4 with you for a minute before we get into these few points. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and Paul here in verse 7 has a commentary about this chapter 12 of the book of John, and that in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 7. And I'd like, the reason why we use Bible verses here and we use references, not to sound smart or smarter than everybody else or more spiritual, but we use references here to let you know that this is not our opinion, this is not our denomination's opinion, uh, we don't belong to a denomination. We are not a denomination. We're an affiliation of churches worldwide. But we are, we are giving these verses here because we want you to go home and read these verses and to make sure, keep me accountable, right? Keep the pastor accountable. Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, it says this, but we have this treasure in earthenware jars in order that the extraordinary degree of the power may be of God. Don't you love those words? The extraordinary power of God may be of God. You know, when we talk about the power of God that is inside of you and inside of me, inside of every one of us, inside of a little child, we talk about its extraordinary power. It's power that people talk about. It's power that people are looking for in this world. It's the power of the gospel. It's the power of the finished work. It's the power of something that's so much more supernatural than human ability. It's what the earth is, it's what people in this world are looking for. That's why you see this new trend in Christianity, signs, wonders, and power. It is, that is happening because people are looking for a supernatural God. And we kind of maybe chuckle a little bit, or maybe it kind of causes us to think when we read those signs. But people are really looking for a God that's bigger than themselves. They're looking for a God that can do things much more than what we could ever do in our natural, in our natural ability. And so we have this treasure in the earthenware in jars in order that the extraordinary degree of power may be of God, may be from God and not from us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. I love this, because when we talk about God breaking us so the treasure can get out, God never breaks your will. God is not a tyrant. God never violates your dignity as a person, your value of the value of your soul. When God breaks a person, it's not the way maybe a, a tyrannical or a diabolical or, or a dictator would break his people in his nation. God breaks us, but he doesn't crush us. We are perplexed, but we're not despairing. Persecuted in verse nine, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. Verse 10, always caring about the death of, our, of Jesus in our body in order that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our body. Verse 16, I wanna skip down a few verses. Therefore, verse 16, we do not lose heart. But even if our outer person is being destroyed, yet our inner person is being renewed day after day. And I want to talk with you for a few minutes on that this morning. But first of all, five things I want to mention to you. Number one, sooner or later we discover that we ourselves are the greatest frustration to God's work and God's power. 
sooner or later we just realize like, wow, God wants to do all of this. And then what we say, we, 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 what we say to Jesus is what we hear the centurion say to Jesus when he was expecting a miracle for his family. And he said, I believe, but help my unbelief, right? That's human, right? Number two, there's no question that the power of the life of God in us can do mighty things. It just needs to get out of our shell. And what is our shell? When we talk about the shell, that part that needs to be broken, is that our flesh? No. I would say, I would say, yeah, but no, there's something else that's being referred to. And this is in verse 25 of John 12. And I'm not going to ask you to turn there. You can if you want. But in verse 25 of John 12, right after Jesus says that, that, the, that, um, that unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it abides by itself alone. Right after that verse, it says, the one who loves his life loses it. You know what that word for life is? It's not biological life. It's not, it's not the life of, you know, the life, the great life I live here in Texas. It's your soulish life. The Greek word there is is the word that we use for that is is for that we that we use for soul or suki which means like soul it's your soul life and i want to explain what that means here in a second the the power of god needs to get out and the shell needs to be broken our our soul life needs to be broken that's why when when i went to bosnia with a with an outreach team years ago right after the war right after the war in in bosnia and herzegovina that genocide a horrible in the, in, the, in the 90s of what was happening there. We went with a team down there. I didn't tell my wife I was going. <laughs> it was me and two other guys went down there from our church in Budapest. And we rented a car. Actually, we weren't planning to go there. We just rented a car to do some, just to check out that whole area. Like we went down to Slovenia. They were like, hey, let's go a little far. Let's go to Croatia. We went to Croatia. That was really beautiful. Then we went, we thought, let's, we're so close to Bosnia. Let's just go to Bosnia. So we went to Bosnia, right? And as we're driving through Bosnia, we're thinking, you know, this is just post-war. And we're probably going to meet a lot of broken people, right? So we went to Sarajevo, which is the, which is the capital of, of, of um, Bosnia, which is a Turkish word. Sarajevo means the place of the palace or the palace. And we went there and there are these mosques that are, po- that are popping up. Uh, it was a beautiful, it looked like a little Turkey, um, the country of Turkey. And we were there and we thought, you know what, this is going to be great outreach because people are probably broken. We went there and I've never been to some of the most hardest people I've ever met were there. Post-war hardened people. Do you know what? Trouble and hardship does not always break people. It actually can make them harder. And that's what happens a lot of times. But when, the God, when God's brokenness comes in, it's a different kind of a brokenness. It's not a, broke, it's not a breaking of your dignity and of who you are. And it actually, when, when we went to Bosnia, there was so much um, resistance and so much antagonism to what we were sharing. We were there 45 minutes and I was ready to go. I was like, I was like, I said to my team, I said, another 10 minutes. God, we're giving you 10 more minutes. <laughs> and if you want us to talk to somebody here, bring him because you know what, we're, we're out of here. And then as we're walking, I'm just thinking, it's one of those prayers like, okay, you know, I'm heading back to my car now. So we're walking back to our rental and there's a guy in the park and he's sitting there on a bench. He's selling books. He's just selling some used books. And we have these, you know, we have these things in our hands, like we have some pamphlets, some literature. And he goes, hey guys, in English, he goes, what are you guys doing? And so we went over there and talked to him and his name was, uh, his name is Nevin, Nevin, N-E-V-E-N, and I'll never forget the conversation I had with him. We started talking. Younger guy, probably in his late 30s, early 40s, part of his side was kind of like disabled, handsome guy, well-dressed, just his arm wasn't really working very well and he limped with his right leg. 
we got talking and, and we shared the gospel with him. <laughs> it was just like, he goes, you know what? He goes, I'm a bad person. And when he said that, you looked in his eyes and it was one of those kind of people where you look in your eyes and you're like, this looks like a bad person. <laughs> there's, a, there's a bad soul in there, you know? And he goes, and he goes I'm, I'm a Bosnian Serb. And he goes, he goes, there's no salvation. There's no redemption for me whatsoever. I go, really? What, 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 why? And he goes, I was a sniper. He goes, you ever hear of Sniper Alley? And I said, yeah. He goes, and he showed, we are not very far from that. He goes, see that tower over there? That's where my perch was. And during the war, anybody that came out on the street, my job was to shoot them dead. Woman, child, man, what, whoever, dog, animal, anything that moved on that street was to be dead. And I was a sniper and I did my job well. And I, I killed, I can't tell you how many people I killed. And he, and he was just, you know, he was just persuaded that God had no redemption for him whatsoever, that he was a very bad person. And I remember talking with him and thinking, what do you say to a guy like that, right? And he was telling me about his unit. He was part of a special forces unit of 12 men. And their job was to protect um, a hill that crested right before the city of Sarajevo. And their, their job, their unit was to, uh, was to block it from, uh, and it, you know, from Serbian tanks coming in invading. And so his whole unit, he shows me a picture, his whole unit died. Everybody died. He should have died too, but he somehow survived a mortar attack. And he goes, my whole unit's gone. I don't know why I'm alive. And uh, there, there's no redemption for me. And as he said that, you know what came to my mind? There, I said, there's somebody in the Bible that was worse than you. He goes, no. I go, yeah. There was a, there was a man by name, his name was Saul. And not, he didn't, not, not only did he kill people, but he killed Christians with a vengeance, with a desire, with this, with this intention, I'm going, with this agenda to kill God's people. And then I had his attention. He was like riveted, right? And I talked with him, and we led him to Christ. And today he lives in France doing something. I don't know what he's doing. But it was that moment when the gospel got shared with him. There was a bigger gospel. There's a bigger grace. There's a bigger redemption than, than, than what we think, our, that, that we ourselves think that we could do for ourselves. The shell needs to be broken. Number three, in order for someone to be used by God or see his power, the treasure has to be released. This treasure is very powerful. Number four, the fundamental problem we struggle with is our inner man or our inner life, our soul, I mean our spirit, our, the treasure cannot break out. Why can't it not break out? Because there's things in our life that God's trying to break in our soul. And if in order for this treasure to be released, it must break out. And so, number five, we have to be clear that the first obstacle to our work is ourselves, not other people and not life circumstances. I think we could point at people and circumstances and say, that's why I am the way I am today. That's why God's not working because I don't have this or I don't have this answer or I don't have a mate in my life. I don't have a job or I don't have this circumstance or this thing happened or I don't, or I have these health issues and that's why God can't work. That's not the problem. That is not hindering God. Can, God can do anything and we've seen God do amazing things. I was thinking this past week again, uh, I was talking with one of our pastors in Ukraine where we had a young girl at one of our camps years ago. It was, we, had a, we did a summer camp right at the, right at the water. And um, <clears throat> we had, we had um, excellent day, We had excellent care for our kids. Uh, everything was going very well. But um, during one of the meetings, um, someone called out and said that, that there, was a, there was a young kid that was in distress in the sea. And so they took her out, and the, it was, 
uh, not really someone that was with us, but they were coming to our meetings, um, and they, their daughter was maybe like eight years old, and she was lifeless. She was, there was no, she was not breathing. And she looked like she was gone. And I remember seeing the young girl, and I thought, oh my God, this, this can't happen. This is like, what? I, I just, I was like, God, this is, you know, we can't have this. And, and this is what we, I was just thinking. And I, I gathered everybody together and we had a doctor, we had called the ambulance, this is in Ukraine. So the ambulance was gonna take probably 45 to, minutes to an hour to come. So we had a doctor, one of the young guys that was with us, he was a CPR, he began to, he began to administer CPR. And we began to sing and pray. And the girl was in the water for like 10 minutes, that's what we were told before she was taken out. And we began to sing, we began to pray, began to um, sing again, pray some more. And we were looking and, and it, was, it was amazing because the girl, her eyes opened and then they, they closed and then she moved and she said something and then she was not, it was like she was coming back to life. And I, I just remember watching the life and the color coming back into her face. And then within 30 minutes, she was, she was on her feet, she was talking, she was normal. And her mom, um, her mom, you, you just, you pray that you never see anything like that. But she, she literally came back. She was gone for like 10 minutes. And we, lit, and we didn't realize what was happening at the moment. But a few hours later, I called one of our pastors and said, do you think, do you realize that we just saw someone come back to life? Like someone that was dead, that just came back to life. And this mom just watching her response and just seeing the people singing and praying. And, and it wasn't this violent thing, laying hands on people, but it was very quiet, very prayerful, lots of worship and just praying to God that, that something would happen. I believe, like my wife and I have seen miracles, and Pastor Adam and those, many of you in this room have seen God do miraculous things, you know, wondrous things, things that are just so beyond the description. Like I, I know my wife one time had a very, when we first got married, had a very serious liver condition because as a young child, she had a lot of internal bleeding and it went into her digestion system and it wrecked her liver, liver as a young, young child. Her liver was wrecked. And when we got married, her diet was very, very strict. She couldn't eat any, any fried things or anything like that because anything fried or anything like that that was not cooked or very, very spicy would just set off her, her liver. And if you, don't do this, but if, if you put your fingers underneath her rib cage a little bit, you could feel where her, her liver is. It, would be, it was like hard as a rock. It was like unnaturally like you could feel like something that was just really hard there. And I remember we were at a meeting one time. Um, we had gone, we were living in Ukraine at the time as missionaries. We had gone to one of our European conferences and, and this, was, this was in Poland this year. And we were there and at the end of the service, our pastor at the end said, you know, I'd like to pray for healing. And I believe that God wants to heal people in the room. And he was an old Baptist that came out of the Baptist movement and then just went non-denominational because he saw the God in the Bible in the book of Acts and he's like, why don't, we, why don't we see this happening today? And so he just had music playing. It was like this kind of simple music. And he had us get up and just march around the, the, the chapel. You know, we're just marching around the chapel. Like, and he said, just like the, just like the, uh, the armies of, of Israel walking around Jericho, we're gonna walk around your Jericho today. And he's having us walk around, we're singing. It's a little like awkward, like we're walking, singing, bumping into people. There's a lot of people we're like, Really? <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, and so we're, we're doing this. And at the end, Gosha and I sit down and he, she says to me, I think God healed me. I said, really? Meaning being the spiritual, full of faith person that I am, the pastor. Really, you think so? 
how, how do you know? Why? Why do you say that? And then the lady behind us, she was a pastor's wife. She taps Gosha on the shoulder and she goes, you know, I think God healed you. And she goes, yeah, I think God healed me too. And so I'm thinking, okay, great. And so Gosha, at the end of the service, um, she said, let's test it out. So I go, okay, so we go upstairs to the cafe, right? And she orders this big greasy hamburger, yes. uh, right? <laughs> and these French fries, right? These French fries was like from this, from this fast food place. It was like, I think it was like 90% oil and 10% potato. It was one of those kind of French fries. It was like, oh, it was just, and just all this greasy food. I go, gosh, you just, because if she would eat like that, she'd be down for days. She goes, I'm just going to test God. I'm going to, I believe I was, you know, I said, okay, you know, this is your faith, hon. And so she did it, right? And she ate it. And she was like, I'm, you know, an hour goes by, two hours, nothing happens. Wow. I was like, okay. Maybe it was like or, olive oil or something. I don't know. And so I said, let's go to the doctor and get you checked out because I, you know, I, I need some, I need it on paper. <laughs> I need some, doc- me being the, the full of faith pastor that I am, I need this on paper, you know? And so we went to her doctor and, the, and I remember at the end of the, she had a blood test. We went in for the, we went in for the results and the doctor came out really puzzled, like, you know, like, uh, cause he has her records. It was her family doctor from when she was a little girl after the accident with her liver. And he said, oh, ma'am, I'm sorry. I'm really, I'm, there must be something wrong with our equipment because uh, the, the results here say that you have a, a liver, but it's in the condition of like a little baby. And, and he's like scratching his head. And he was apologizing to us. And we were like, nope, there's no mistake. And we were just told the doctor, like, God healed my wife. And he goes, yeah, right. Mm-hmm. We hear that a lot. So, you know, we've seen God do things. I've seen, we've seen people get healed from AIDS. We've seen people got, get healed. You know, Pastor Pete Westera, you know, I didn't plan to talk about all these testimonies, but Pastor Peter Westera, he was here before many of you met him. He's our teen leader, our youth leader in Baltimore. I remember when I was in Bible school, he was 17 at the time. Now you know how old I am. And he was 17 at the time, and he was just not walking with God, not at all. And he would tell you the same. And I remember him uh, sitting in the back of the chapel, and I remember during the service, our pastor said, you know something, Pete? I think God wants to heal you. I think God's going to heal you. And I remember there was this issue that he had with his eye, and it was some kind of either an accident or infection. And his eyeball literally is starting to shrink and get smaller and get smaller. And you could see it like as the, as the days and weeks were going on, his, his eye was like dying. It was yellow and it was just dying in his eye socket. And I remember after that service, and I think I remember he was 17 at the time. I thought, what a you know, poor teenager. I mean, like he's just got this going on. He's got one eye. He's going to have one eye, you know, for the rest of his life. And I just remembered um, that service and the prayer for healing. And then I remember um, he had said something that his eye started not hurting so much. And then over the next few weeks, it started going back, literally started going. And now today, if you see him, like you'll see, you won't even tell like which eye it was. Literally like an eye started growing back. I mean, this is, you know, amazing stuff. And I'm sure there's people in this room and I know, um, I know um, Catherine has an amazing story. She's gonna, I'm going to have her share maybe in a couple of weeks of like how God healed her. But I say this because when we talk about healing, it's not a question about if God wants to do this or not. He can do it, absolutely. If God can create this universe that we live in, can he not do the hard thing? But the thing is, is that, and I'm not going to say that you need more faith. I'm not going to say that because that's not the issue. It's never you. Like what God wants to do is never leaning on you and I. I mean, that's an error in, in theology. That's an error in, in some teaching where, where if we were to say you need more faith, you don't need more faith 
because we already have everything in that seed that we need. That seed, that cord of wheat that is in us, that, that, that incorruptible seed in the book of Peter that, that Peter talks about is in us. We don't need more faith. We don't need more, more emotion or more sensational. We don't need a different environment. We don't need more um, uh, louder music or anything like that. What we need to understand is the character and the nature of who God is. And when we understand that, we have a peace that passes understanding. We have something that goes beyond anything that we can, under, uh, we, we can see or feel. And this is something that God has prepared for us. And it says here, you know, when we talk about, when we talk about the outer man, what is this outer man? It's the soul. And I want to I wrap it up with this. Is that you and I are three, we have three parts to us. We've talked about it before. We have a physical body, which is our flesh. We have a soul, which is our personality. It's that... It's our mind, it's our emotions, it's our value system, our conscience, it's our will. It's, this is our soul. And when you meet somebody for the first time, you shake their hand, you're meeting their flesh, right? Okay, that's their flesh. You start talking to them and you're starting to, to, to meet their soul, their personality, what they are made up of, what they prefer. Our soul is that part of us that, is, that uh, knows what it likes to do. It, know, it has preferences. It's that part of us that has opinions. It's the place where we feel. It's the place of self-life. It's the self-awareness. That's our soul. And that's what makes us who we are. It's our self-awareness. It's what makes us different than animals. Okay? We have a soul that has a higher sense of self-awareness. And that soul, a lot of times, is where people just live. And it's self-centered. And a lot of times, that's where Christianity happens in a, for a lot of Christians, where they feel emotional or they feel something very powerful. And there are these vibrations, there are these soulish vibrations. Like you ever meet somebody then you like, I don't like the vibe from that person. You're talking, about the, the vi- the, you're talking about that person's soul. And a person's soul is a part of us that needs to be broken. It's our preferences, it's our desires, it's our, it's our natural understanding. It's that part of us that is self-conscious. That's the, that is, then there's the inner man right? And that's our spirit. That's the treasure here that Paul's talking about in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. The treasure that's in us, our spirit. And our spirit, that's the part of us that communes with God. It's the part of us that touches God, that God touches us. When we come to a meeting like this and we sense there's something more than just the physical, you know, talking about who won, you know, I, I, the, the football game last night with uh, the Saints and, the, and, the, and Houston. I have no idea who won. I just saw it for a few minutes. That's like, you know, what we like and how we feel. There's a part of us, it's our soul. That, like, you know, we, it's like, do I feel accepted or do I feel rejected? Do I believe this or do not believe this? Or these are things that we, you know, am I, am I feeling good about myself or am I feeling shameful about myself? This all happens in the soul. And you know something, if we're not careful, if we don't understand what our Christianity is, then that's where our Christianity stays. And that means everything I judge in my life, everything, all my discernment, all of my judgment, all my feelings, all of my, what I feel in my life is just self-centered in my soul. And we need to be, we need to be renewed out of that. And this is what it says in in, um, Psalm chapter 119. It says this in verse 25, my soul clings to the dust. My soul clings to the dust. There's a gravitational pull, right? My son's learning about gravity. It's pretty cool. There's this, there's this gravitational pull towards the dust. There's this gravitational pull in our soul towards home, you know, country road, <laughs> where I belong. You know, that's soul, right? 
You know, like, and, and church and, and Christianity can, ha- can, can be there. Our soul naturally is going to cling to earthly things. It's going to cling to like, oh, that's a, I went to a Mike's dealership and I saw these million, I saw a million dollar car. It's a Lamborghini. If you want to buy a great car, go see Mike. Yeah, he's selling, port, he's selling Bentleys and, uh, and um, uh, Lamborghinis and there's one other. It's a lot, uh, so I met, his, I met the sales manager there and he goes, he goes, we sell two types of cars here. And Caleb was with me, right? Caleb's like, I want that car right there. <laughs> Points at this it's shiny black Lamborghini. And so the receptionist there, um, I think her name is Gloria, said, uh, did you bring your wallet? And Caleb's like, Mm-mm, I didn't bring my wallet, but I want that one. <laughs> I was like, okay. And you know, <clears throat> so, so we're there and the sales manager comes out and we says, he says, we sell two types of cars here fast and faster. I was like, wow, you know, I'd be afraid to even take that on 45, you know. Anyway, I don't even know where I was going with that illustration. Oh, my soul clings to the dust. My soul clings to the Lamborghini. It, cling, it clings to the, to the Bentley, to the, um, you know, to these really nice cars like the Rolls Royce, right? It clings to that. And you know something, there are things, like it clings to my career. It clings to my job. It clings to, it clings to the things that I'm used to in my life, the rituals, and David said in Psalm 119, verse 25, my soul clings to dust. Revive me. Revive me. <clears throat> and how are we revived? According to your word. There's only one element in our life that's going to revive us. And this is Ephesians chapter 3. And I want to read this verse to you just as we close. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 23. Spiritual renewal. Spiritual renewal. For our soul to be broken and so that the treasure can get out so that we can start seeing God move in our life so that we can see, so that we just don't become like one of these Christians that for decades we just, there's no change in my life. I'm not going from glory to glory. I'm not going from faith to faith. I'm not going from f- to, to righteousness to righteousness. I'm just stuck in my Christianity, just spinning my wheels and nobody likes that and we get bored. How does that happen? How, how do we get out of that cycle? How do, we get into the, how do we get out of this rut of just besetting sins? We need to be, re, we need to be revived <clears throat> in the spirit of our mind. We need to be revived by the word of God. It's the word of God, guys. It's the Bible. <clears throat> it's the Bible that's gonna renew your heart. It, the Bible talks to your spirit. <clears throat> when you hear the Bible, don't look at the Bible as commandments that you've gotta work out in your flesh. Or don't, look, don't live in like, oh, you know, I don't like that Bible verse or, or I don't like that kind of, you know. Don't live in soulish um, uh, evaluations of your Christianity. Look at, what, look at the word of God because when we read the word of God by faith and we trust it, then there's going to be this reviving in our soul. And this is what Paul said in Ephesians 4 verse 23. Be renewed in the spirit of your minds. That's why we need the word. That's why we need the word every day. This, this is what, thank you very much. This is why we need the word every day and why we need some, some water sometimes. <laughs> we need the word every day because what it does is it takes our mind, it reverses the gravitational pull in temptation. Are we in temptation? Is there a moment of temptation in your life right now? Get around the Bible. Don't try to change yourself. Don't try to improve yourself. Don't try to, like, don't get into this whole self-improvement improvement program. Get around the word of God and listen to it and mix faith with what you hear. Say, Lord, I don't know how that's going to work in my life. I don't know how it's going to work. But according to, I will, but according to your word, let it be done, like Mary did, mother Jesus, the mother of Jesus. Be it, let it be according to thy word. And when that happens, our mind is renewed. 
And that's why we need, to make a, we need to make a decision to consecrate ourselves to his word. Our ultimate fight is never with flesh and blood. Holy Spirit's trying to dismantle the soul. Everything in the will of God. We, we ask, what is God's will for my life? Well, part of it is God's gonna dismantle your soul reactions to circumstances in your job, in your family, and in your personal life. Our battle is not carnal, it's mighty through God. So I wanna just close our eyes for a minute as we close, and I just wanna lead us in a prayer where, Lord, God, maybe there's things where, where you're trying to break in my life and maybe I have not seen it. Maybe I don't recognize this to be the hand of God. Maybe I don't see this. Maybe I see this as people, circumstances, government, um, culture, my neighborhood, my personal life, things I did wrong, pay, payback, may, maybe my karma, sometimes people say. We have to understand that this is not that but it's the hand of God. And I just want to say to us today, myself included, Lord, if there's things that you want to break in my life that I'm not seeing, number one, that you would just give me the discernment to decide, to see it. This is God's hand. God's just trying to break something, not to destroy me, not because he's some in, insecure God, but he's, there's something inside of us that needs to be released. It's Jesus Christ. It's the spirit, it's the inner man. And that's when the anointing flows. That's when we see the power of God. It's amazing when we sit down with someone who may be going through a lot of things and maybe themselves are maybe discouraged, but they just draw near by faith. There's a fragrance in their life. There's this anointing. There is this something sweet there. And when you sit down, you talk with them and you're touching their spirit and they're touching your spirit and it's a deep fellowship and it's extremely satisfying. It's extremely fulfilling when we have these kinds of relationships because otherwise, the church just turns into another social clique, another cool, religious, trendy society, and that's not what we're called to do. God, we want to see your power, Lord. We want to see your glory as Moses prayed. But we understand if we pray like that, brokenness comes in. You hide us behind your hand, in the cleft of the rock. And that's where we see, we see your glory. God, if there's, we just want to surrender to your cross. Lord, we don't want to live in soulish emotions and feelings and our own opinions and our own values. Lord, we want to live in spiritual conviction, persuasion. And when we do that, we see your hand and your power. If you're here this morning and you've never called on Jesus' name, maybe you're a religious person, maybe you believe in God, Maybe you've gone to church because your, your parents took you to church. You've not made that decision personally that you want Jesus Christ to be your personal Lord and Savior. Do what Muhammad was talking about. Just say, Lord, forgive me of my sins. I accept you into my life. <clears throat> do that today. And if you do that, that's a prayer that Jesus will answer. And you're gonna see change in your life. You're gonna see things happen. God, I just wanna pray for this body. Lord, I just wanna thank you for this church, Lord. In Jesus' precious name. Let's